Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'm asking you to take your Bible with me this morning and find your way to the 136th Psalm, Psalm 136. As Kevin mentioned, we are living in precarious times. Questions arise every day, and be honest with you as a pastor, My heart is so moved by some of the questions that arise that I think every day, oh, I should preach this or I should preach that. And that's why the Lord, I believe, drew me back to preaching during this particular time on the attributes of God. God's attributes are His perfections. They are His characteristics by which and through which He reveals Himself to us. Jeremiah chapter 9 says... Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knows me. Daniel chapter 11 gives us the wonderful promise and assurance in the 32nd verse that those who know God will be strong, they'll be stable, even in times like this. And they will do exploits. They will be successful as they seek to serve, whether it be in the home or in the church or in the community. And so the best antidote for troublesome times, the only antidote for troublesome times, know God. Know His omnipotence and power. Know His greatness as it's demonstrated through His omniscience and through His eternality. Know His goodness as it's exhibited to us through His love and through His grace and His mercies that are new every morning. We've opened our Bibles to the 136th Psalm today. I'd like to bring a message this morning on how we ought to be awed by God's mercy. Awed by His mercy. Now the 136th Psalm is written to be sung in lead and then in chorus. And so it's an antiphonal song. It was sung by the priests, and then the congregation of the saints would respond with the same chorus over and over again. So, we can't just allow me to read this psalm. You have to participate. It was written for participation. So I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to have to ask you to stand once again, all right? And I promise this will be the last time before the service is over. But it's the only adequate way to read this psalm with the effect that the Spirit of God wants us to enjoy. So when I stop reading, you'll have the chorus in every verse as we go through Psalm 136, beginning in verse 1. You ready? After the first chorus, by the way, you'll have it memorized. Here we go. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, to him alone who doeth great wonders, to him that by wisdom made the heavens, to him that stretched out the earth above the waters, to him that made great lights, the sun to rule by day. And the moon and the stars to rule by night. You think there's anything the Spirit of God wants us to learn from the 136th Psalm? His mercy endures forever. I made that verse up, by the way. And you responded pretty well on the chorus. 
But let's ask the Lord to help us to be convinced in our hearts this morning that our God's mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. May our hearts be convinced of it this morning. And may those who have come into this room today or have joined with us online, who as yet do not know Christ as Savior, be convinced of it as well. And run into the open arms of the mercy of God and find his grace sufficient for all of their needs. And may we, your people, as we gather in this place this morning, gather in anticipation of allowing our hearts to rejoice that indeed your mercy endures forever. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Richard Strauss many years ago observed that many of us are familiar with Murphy's Law. (laughs) And point of fact is, many of us tend to believe that Murphy's Law is real. You're familiar with Murphy's Law, right? Murphy's Law says that nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you expect. And, of course, most famously, if anything can go wrong, it will. Now, Murphy's Law has been adjusted over the years necessarily to add just a few other thoughts. For instance, part of Murphy's Law now is everything you decide to do will cost you more than you think. Everything you tinker with to try to fix it will break. That's true. And the light at the end of the tunnel is actually a train speeding toward you. Back in 1978, Joseph Felix, a Christian man, entitled a book that he wrote, a humorous look at at Murphy's Law. The title of his book was, Lord, Have Murphy. And it was an intended miscommunication of words because in the Gospels, over and again, people approach Christ with the phrase, Lord, Have Mercy. And in life that we live today, many people wander around aimlessly and miserably saying it must be Murphy's Law. Lord, have Murphy. Most people don't know who Murphy was, don't know if he was real, but a lot of people believe in Murphy's Law. Many people don't know who God is, don't even know if he's real, and unfortunately have never become convinced of his wonderful mercy. This morning, I want us to ask three questions together. I want us to ask the question, what is God's mercy? Important questions. What is God's mercy? And then we'll ask, where is God's mercy witnessed? And then we'll conclude this morning by asking the question, and what difference does it make? What difference does God's mercy make? These are extremely important questions, absolutely necessary questions. God's mercy, after all, moves him to minister to the miserable. It is God's mercy that moves him to minister every day in all kinds of wonderful ways to those who are miserable. When we ask the question, what is God's mercy? The answers are found in the pages of God's Word where we see the declaration of God's mercy. The declaration of God's mercy. Psalm 136, we've read together this morning, is a psalm that wants our hearts to ring and resonate and reverberate with the chorus of the mercy of God. It's a wonderful chorus. He is good, verse 1 says, because his mercy endures forever. Verse 2, he's the God of gods 
And his mercy endures forever. He's the Lord of lords, verse 3. And his mercy endures forever. He does great wonders because his mercy endures forever. God wants us to know that his mercy is infinite. Listen, he wants us to know that his mercy is inexhaustible. He wants us to know that his mercy is full of compassion. God's mercy is God's love in action. God's mercy is him focusing in pity on our plight and involving himself by his love to give us relief from the plight in which we find ourselves. God's mercy is his love in action. His love in action flows through all of his attributes. Now listen, God's mercy is the attribute of God that sweetens all of his other attributes. Our God, as you should know, is a God of justice, but his justice is tempered by mercy. Our God is a God of omnipotence, but his omnipotence is measured in mercy. Our God is a God of omniscience, and because his omniscience is everywhere, his mercy is everywhere. Mercy is God's love in action. Now listen, God's mercy is not something that God has. God's mercy is who God is. Every one of his attributes needs to be considered this way. God's mercy is not something that he has, so we need never to fear that he'll run out of mercy or that he'll forget mercy because mercy is one of his divine characteristics, one of his perfections. His mercy never changes. In fact, the 103rd Psalm tells us how wonderfully his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And James 5 and verse 11 says that the Lord is very pitiful and he is of tender mercy. I want you to put a mark in the 136th Psalm this morning and come back with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. As you turn back to the book of Exodus, you're turning to a book that tells us of God's leading the children of Israel out from the captivity of Egypt, ministering to them at the Red Sea and opening up the Red Sea so that Pharaoh could not destroy them as a people. How that God provided for them in the wilderness with water and bread. And you'll remember that in the book of Exodus, the 19th chapter, God says, Moses, I want you to come up on Mount Sinai and I want to reveal myself to you. And the Bible tells us that Moses traveled up Mount Sinai, but first a warning was given to all the children of Israel. They were warned to stay here. Do not come up the mountain. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. And Moses alone was instructed to go up Mount Sinai. As he went, he was instructed to carve out two tables of stone. God wrote upon the stones his commandments. And then you'll remember that Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. As he comes down from Mount Sinai, he hears a noise in the children of Israel, and it's not the noise of war, it's the noise of polluted worship. The children of Israel, while Moses was up in the holy place with God, are involving themselves in very unholy activities. They have taken their gold earrings and their amulets and they've melted those gold earrings and amulets and necklaces and bracelets into a golden calf and they're actually worshiping an idol 
While Moses is up experiencing the holiness of God, he goes from that place of holiness down into this place of terrible debauchery and in their awful, wicked worship of these idols, they've involved themselves in immorality and sensuality. And it's such that God's judgment has to step in and 3,000 of the people of Israel die. And had Moses not prayed and intervened, God's judgment would have been poured out in greater measure upon them. That's where we find the children of Israel. Trembling now because their sin has been so exposed and God's judgment hovers over them. And God invites Moses to come back up Mount Sinai. And he tells the children of Israel once again to prepare themselves. He tells Moses to carve out a new set of stones. And Moses goes up Mount Sinai. The children of Israel stand trembling at the base of the mountain as God's glory begins to descend. And in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5, God descends in a cloud and stands before Moses there and proclaims the name of the Lord. Look at verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. What a wonderful declaration of the mercy of God. God literally passes by Moses, choosing to introduce himself to his servant. He has condescended to come and speak to Moses a second time. He has graciously put off his judgment against the people who committed immorality and debauchery and, and worshipped idols. And God, as he passes by, introduces himself to Moses. And what does he say? Listen, does he say, I'm the holy God? Does he say, I am the just God? And God is holy and God is just. Does he say, I am an angry God? And the Bible says there are times that God displays his anger. In fact, John chapter 3 says, he's angry every day with those who are wicked. The wrath of God is even now upon them. But God passes by Moses. And in verse 6 of Exodus 34, he says, The Lord God, merciful, hallelujah, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. We can picture the Children of Israel at base camp and them on the heart of Moses and Moses being reassured by the words of God that God is merciful even to the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There's something very important for us to understand as we stand with Moses in awe of God's mercy. We need to understand that God is gracious, that God is merciful. We speak often of grace, especially it seems in this dispensation, which is often called the age of grace, and well we should, as we sing together as a congregation, wonderful grace of Jesus, an amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Grace and mercy are God's active attributes of his love. Grace is a forensic attribute. It's a legal attribute. Mercy is a personal and relational attribute. In grace, God is able to forgive us legally in the courts of heaven by the work of the blood of Jesus Christ. And by his mercy, he's willing to reach out to us and pity us 
in our plight. So I like to remember it this way. G, grace. God's grace is for the guilty. M, mercy. God's mercy is for the miserable. I love the song that says, Holy, holy is what the angels sing, and I intend to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing salvation's story, they will fold their wings. Angels never knew the joy that our salvation brings. You see, Michael and Gabriel and all of the angels of heaven can sing of the attributes of God's power, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his justice. They can sing of the attributes of his greatness. But when it comes to the attributes of God's goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy, they can't sing like we can sing. The 85th Psalm says in verse 6, For thou, Lord, art good. We're going to sing this in heaven. Thou, Lord, art good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You see, there's not one jot or one tittle that will anywise pass from God's word. And the Psalms of the Old Testament will be the songs of the saints in heaven. And only a sinner can sing Psalm 103. The 103rd Psalm says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He hath not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Amen? For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. I love the song that says, The mercies of God. What a theme for my song. Oh, I never can number them o'er. They're more than the stars of the heavenly dome or the sands of the wave-beaten shore. Those who know God's mercy, who've experienced God's forgiveness through the power of the cross, will evermore sing in heavenly places, we serve a God who is mercy, the embodiment of mercy. God is mercy, and mercy is God. And so we ask this morning, friend, do you know God's mercy? For in knowing God's mercy, you come to know God. When you come in your sin-sick state and say, God, be merciful to me and forgive me, you come to know His grace. You're forgiven in heavenly places and you come to know His mercy that He intervenes by His strong arm to pull you out of the place of your plight because He loves you and gave Himself for you. Have you accepted His mercy? Do you know His mercy for your situation today? We've asked the question, what is God's mercy And we've discovered that like his other attributes, God doesn't just have mercy, that God is mercy. That mercy is his active arm of his love and it sweetens all of his other attributes. But there's a second question I want us to ask this morning. And that question is this. Where is God's mercy demonstrated? The demonstration of God's mercy is a fascinating theme. Where is God's mercy demonstrated? demonstrated. Well, let me first say that God's mercy is demonstrated in every circumstance, everywhere. In every circumstance, everywhere. Every part of God's creation has enjoyed the benefit and blessing of His mercy. How do you know, Pastor? Psalm 145 and verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His work. Matthew 5 and verse 45, the Savior says, He makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
Acts 17, verse 25, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, he, speaking of our great merciful God, gives life to all and breath to all things. God has demonstrated his mercy in every circumstance, in every part of his creation. Now listen, because God's mercy is limitless, no one is left out, but God has a special mercy. God has a special mercy for those who call upon him by faith. Is your Bible still open to Exodus 34? If it is, look at verse 7. Exodus 34 and verse 7. The Word of God says, He is keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. What? That doesn't sound like a very merciful statement. How is it that God is a God of mercy, but He won't clear the guilty? Scripture has a marvelous way of answering scriptural questions with scriptural revelations. In other words, the Bible is self-explaining. Exodus 34 is a passage that was considered carefully by two of the prophets in the Old Testament. One of those prophets is named Joel, and the other of those prophets is named Jonah. So in order for us to understand and find clarity to what's being said in verse 7, we need to visit Joel and Jonah. Will you do that with me this morning? How is it that God's merciful? Now wait, tension. How can God be merciful and not clear the guilty? Let's see how Joel and Jonah explain this Bible challenge for us. If you turn to Joel and the second chapter, Joel chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 13 with me. Joel chapter 2 and verse 13 and see how Joel applies the revelation of Exodus 34. Joel, having meditated on how God introduced himself to Moses, in verse 13 gives an invitation. He says this, rend your heart, not your garments. Away with these outward displays of piety that make you look like you're religious. You're tearing your clothing and acting like you're filled with sorrow. Joel says, don't do that. Be sincere. Let your heart be seen before God as a heart that's full of sorrow. Rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Where did he get that idea? He got that idea from Exodus 34. He's slow to anger and of great kindness, and it repenteth him of the evil. Joel is using the words of God that were revealed to Moses as an invitation. He's saying, turn, turn right now, turn to God right now. He's gracious He's merciful. He's full of kindness. How can he be full of kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and not clearing the guilty? Well, there are some who will not cry out for his mercy. There are some who will not come by faith, and they will not be cleared. Joel says God shows his special mercy by forgiving those who turn. Those who turn and seek his forgiveness will know his forgiveness and revel in his mercy. That's how Joel uses Exodus. Let's see how Jonah uses Exodus. Come over to Jonah chapter 3. Like Joel, Jonah was very familiar with Exodus 34, with the way that God introduced himself to the children of Israel in their challenge. And as we come to Jonah chapter 3, there's an invitation being given. It's an invitation for everyone to take advantage of 
the mercy of God. The one doing the inviting is an unusual person. It's not Jonah. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to be wiped out. That's why he wanted to run away when God sent him to Nineveh. But the king of Nineveh is speaking in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8. Listen to what he says. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? Verse 9, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and, they, and he did not do it. In other words, our merciful God responded to the people of Nineveh when they cried to him about their sin, knowing his judgment was pending. God, who is merciful to the children of Israel in Exodus 34, is merciful to the people of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. How does Jonah respond? Jonah refers to Exodus 34, but not in a way that he should. Look at what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. He prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew, what did he know? (laughs) He knew Exodus 34. I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and a repentance of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. God had mercy. Jonah had none. God had mercy on the Ninevites when they turned and asked for his forgiveness. And he did not bring his judgment. And Jonah was ticked off. Jonah hated the Ninevites and wanted God's judgment. And I've got good news for you this morning. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. The same God who had mercy for the sinners in Nineveh, the same God who had mercy for the sinners of the children of Israel in Exodus 34, the same God has mercy for you and mercy for me. We have a God who is mercy everlasting. Come back with me now to Psalm 136 where we began this morning. Psalm 136. There's something very important for us to notice in Psalm 136, so we'll pick up our song again. I'll I'll give the verse, you give the chorus. You're well trained in it by now. So as we come to Psalm 136, let me read beginning in verse 13. Ready? To him which divideth the Red Sea into parts, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. So I have a question for you. Where's God's mercy for Pharaoh and his hosts? He overthrew Pharaoh and the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel went over and they sang his mercy endures forever. But Pharaoh and his armies were drowned while God's mercy endures forever. You see, the day of mercy for Pharaoh was over and the day of judgment had come. And the God of mercy who's available to that one who cries out, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner, this morning is available right now. 
But the day comes when God is glorified by those who sing in heaven, his mercy endures forever. Those who hear the echo of it, even in hell, yes, his mercy endures forever. But the window of his mercy on Pharaoh had closed. If you despise God's authority, if you live in sin, if you continue in that sin and do not turn to Christ, you presume upon the mercy of God. And while his mercy will endure forever, the word of God makes it clear that God will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. And he will harden those that he hardens. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of receiving his mercy. In heaven, those who have turned by faith to Christ and received the forgiveness of sin will sing forevermore of God's mercy and witness forevermore of that mercy. And his mercy does indeed endure forever. God's mercy for you is today. For the moment of salvation must be now. And if you presume upon God and don't ask for his forgiveness of sin, you'll go on in your sin and one day the waters of God's judgment will crash down upon you as surely as they crash down upon Pharaoh. And even then God's people will sing his mercy endures forever. For God's people in heavenly places Do not walk upon streets where blasphemies are shared. Are not worried about leaving their doors unlocked at night because sinners are everywhere. No, God relieves us of those things for the Bible tells us for all liars and those who do wickedness according to the book of the Revelation will have no entry there and yet his mercy for you endures forever. Will you receive it today? Have you received his mercy? Have you come to know Jesus Christ who alone offers forgiveness of sins. God's mercy is demonstrated in every circumstance. And God's mercy is demonstrated, I wish we had time for this, so often in our times of crisis. So clearly in our times of crisis. Oh, there's so much I'd like to say about God's mercy today. After all, how many have had conversations where it begins like this? Oh, 2020. 2020. What's going to happen next? Murphy's Law, right? If anything can go wrong, it will. It's 2020 after all. Those of us who have thought that way need to be introduced to a man by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah would say, 2020, let's talk years. I want to give you 586 BC. Okay, Jeremiah, let's do a comparison. We've, we've had a global pandemic. We've had economic crisis. We have questions about votes. We have limited travel. We're wearing face masks to church. And Jeremiah would say, okay, let me give you this. I lived in a place that's called the apple of God's eye, Jerusalem. I had the privilege of walking on Mount Moriah where Abraham was willing to offer his son and God said he would send himself the lamb. I saw the glories of the temple that had been constructed by Solomon. I knew that place to be the place where the glory of God had come down from heaven and been so bright that the children of Israel could not stand to worship for the brightness of God's glory revealed. But then the Babylonians surrounded my capital city, God's capital city. They tore down the walls. They destroyed the temple. They raped the women. They butchered the old men. They took the young men captive. They burned the law. You think 2020 is bad? Let me offer you 586. Jeremiah would say, it was such a terrible time 
that all I could do is sit and think. In fact, I wrote some poems about it. I wrote five poems about it, Jeremiah would say. I did them acrostically, the first four of those poems, every word beginning with a word or a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And I called them laments. They're meant to be cried through. Cried through. And Jeremiah says, you might know now my poems. You'll find them in a book called Lamentations. And I wrote them in 586. I want you to hear just one verse of what I wrote. You ready? American? Christian who knows God's mercy? You ready? This is what Jeremiah wrote. In Lamentations 3 and verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. He still loves us. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see, those who look for the mercies of God will always find them. We are in a time right now of national crisis. What causes our hearts to go from trembling to peace? His mercies are new every morning. And His faithfulness is great. I love the song that says, God bless America. Stand beside her and guide her with a light through the night from above. God can bless America because His mercies are great and His faithfulness is new every morning. Yes, in every circumstance we can discover the, the grace and mercy of God. But most importantly, God's mercy is demonstrated at the cross. And in every hour, in every pain, in every circumstance, in every situation, if you want to know the, the mercy of God, His active arm engaged in our misery, just come to the cross. A.W. Tozer wrote, several volumes on the attributes of God. I'd recommend them to you if you want to go further in the study of God's attributes. When he comes to the attributes of God's mercy or the attribute of God's mercy, he tells a story that he said he could never get over. I want to tell his story this morning. He uses it to illustrate how wonderful the mercy of God is. Tozer says he remembers meeting someone who told a story from World War I. It was a story of a emaciated man who had a little girl by the hand and he walked up to an orphanage one day the man's stomach and his daughter's stomach both distended their arms quite thin their eyes bulging their cheeks hollow the man walked up barely moving to the orphanage with his daughter and he said to the man who was running the orphanage will you please take her and care for her of course the one who was running the orphanage had to ask the question is she your daughter and he said yes she's my daughter and the one running the orphanage said well we can't take her if she's your daughter. She has a surviving parent. The poor man said, look at me, I can't work. I've been in prison camp. I can't provide for her. He said, I have lost my strength and my ability. Can you please care for my daughter? And the man said, no, I'm sorry, we can't care for your daughter. As long as you're here, that's your responsibility and we're out of room. And the man said, to the one at the orphanage. Are you saying that if I were dead, you would care for my daughter? With a pause, the man there said, well, yes. And so the man took his daughter by the shoulders, turned her and hugged her, kissed her on the forehead, 
put her hand in the hand of the man who was running the orphanage and said, I'll arrange for that, and left and took his own life. Tozer said he remembered that story so well because it's such an apt illustration of the mercy of God. The 103rd Psalm says in verse 13, that like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You realize that knowing the peril of sure death, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of men and they will kill him. He did not die a suicide. He died a willing lamb, placing himself in the hands of others, going to the cross of Calvary, because God's mercy sees us in our plight and intervenes. So the psalmist says in Psalm 85 and verse 10, that at the cross, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. God's righteousness providing for our peace and accomplished that on the cross. God's mercy moves God to meet us in our misery so that the Son of God would die in our place to purchase for you and purchase for me our peace so that God can be just. We serve a just and merciful God and the justifier of all who will believe. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've drunk of the fountain of God's mercy. What a blessing to know we serve a merciful God. God has demonstrated his mercy to us in every circumstance, in every crisis, but most especially at the cross. We've answered two questions this morning. What is God's mercy? Well, we've defined, we found it declared throughout God's word. And where is God's mercy discovered? It's demonstrated everywhere. But one final question for us to answer this morning quickly. What difference does God's mercy make? Let me take a moment and offer a twofold answer. The first, for those who know God, His mercy ought to influence the way we live. Come with me to the book of Micah, again back to the Minor Prophets, to a familiar passage. Micah chapter 6. The last passage that we'll turn to this morning. Micah chapter 6. And find your way to verse 8. Here's a verse that needs to be underlined in your Bibles. Here's a verse that needs to change the way we live. Micah 6 and verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. To do justly, to live in a way that pleases God, and to love mercy. With powerful words, Jesus really painted a picture of what is meant by doing mercy, actively engaging ourselves in mercy. Remember the story that Jesus told about the man who had such a great debt that there was no possible human way that he could ever repay it, and his master came along and said, I'm going to forgive you all of it. And the man immediately going away from his master, thankful that that debt had been taken away, sees someone that owes him just a little bit. He grabs that man by the collar and says, you pay me what you owe me. The man says, I don't have it in hand. The man says, I'm going to throw you into the debtor's prison and throws him into the debtor's prison. Jesus is telling that story to picture for us with powerful words what it means to receive the mercy of God for our sins but not show mercy to others. 
You say, well, I mean, Pastor Phelps, when, when would I ever be called upon to show mercy to others? You know, I've, I've seen Christians who demonstrate very little mercy in their relationships and business. I've seen Christians who show very little mercy when it comes to their relationships in their home and family. They found it's more important to be right than to have a relationship. And, and mercy, and by the way, you have a choice, right? You can either be right or have a relationship. But you can't always have both. And they'll justify it. Well, we can put masks over our merciless spirits ever so effectively. It sounds something like this. I just have a high sense of justice. You know, I, I'm kind of a black and white person. Uh, I, I'm just a really competitive person. Maybe the truth is you haven't reflected on God's mercy to you so that it's being reflected through you. God's mercy is one of his communicable attributes. What does that mean, Pastor? It means it's an attribute that he doesn't hold to exclusively. He shares and allows that attribute to be seen most especially through believers. Are you a believer who shows mercy? Will you show mercy? For those who have not yet come to Christ as Savior, understand that for those who need to know God, God's mercy invites you to come. It invites you to come. Psalm 86 and verse 5 says he's plenteous in mercy. If you're trying to break a bad habit this morning, change the way you live in order to somehow please God and have an entrance into heaven, I have some serious news for you. God has no scale in heaven whereby your good works can outweigh your bad. Doesn't work that way. God has mercy for you right now, and you need to receive it. God has mercy for you right now, and the work that, needs, that is needed to wash away your sins was altogether done by one man, Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross for your sins. Jesus paid it all, and you need to receive him. You see, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. Can you finish it? But it's according to his mercy he saves us. If you were to come into a court of law knowing yourself to be guilty, and the judge said, come forward, please, approach the bench, and you stood knowing yourself to be guilty, and the judge said, hey, listen, don't tell anybody. Well, in fact, you can go ahead and tell people. I'm a very merciful judge. Today I've provided a way, if you'll just receive the gift, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to write you off and let you go innocently from the court with no fine today. In fact, I, I've got a present here for you. I'm going to give you the present. Are you willing to take it? You'd say, well, huh, yeah, I'm taking it right now. Do you realize that God has done that? He's a righteous judge. But he's paid for the gift of eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he offers it to you right now. Don't be foolish. You can't work your way into heaven. Receive the gift of everlasting life Jesus came to give you when he died upon the cross. And you know what you'll sing? His mercy endures forever. Because those who receive the gift of eternal life have an everlasting song that reflects the attribute of God that his mercy endures forever. Don't let Satan deceive you, dear Christian. In a time when things are troubling, in a time of tension all around, God's mercy endures forever. 
This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Podcast.